0: Okay. Hey guys, I'm Katie. This is the Writability Podcast. Welcome. So today I'm here with another English instructor, Landon Spencer, and we are going to talk about Essay organization, sh- essay structure, five-paragraph essay, and the stuff we can do better. Landon, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm Landon Spencer. I'm one of Katie's colleagues here at COS uh, as a professor of English.
0: Yay! Been here, I think, about eight, eight or nine years, I think now. So I think for the stuff we're talking about today, I think maybe even before we get into other stuff, like we should start with like defining a few things. Okay. Like I know one of the things we're going to talk about today a lot is the five-paragraph essay because we're talking about why you shouldn't use them, right? How would you define the five paragraph essay? What do you hear from students that this is?
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, I actually asked my students somewhere towards the beginning of the semester, I tend to say, you know, what, what is an essay? Because we write these things all the time. They've been writing them all through high school. But when you ask a, a group full of students what is an essay, they often have a hard time kind of coming up with a definition. So then I start to say, OK, well, just describe it like it's an elephant, you know, like what does it look like? And then they come up with what looks like a five paragraph essay. Right. And they'll say it has an introduction, which maybe starts with a hook, has like a topic and then ends with a thesis at the end of that paragraph. It has three body paragraphs, each making a different point, And then it has a concluding paragraph that sums everything up.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really rigid structure that a lot of us may have learned in school, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And one that, I mean, I think has its uses perhaps in Mm -hmm. certain
0: situations, but it's so limited. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I think that like that's what ends up happening, right? It's like it ends up not working at some point. It ends up just like breaking for the ideas that you have, which I mean, that's the next thing I wanted to ask was just, do you have any experiences in school, like especially in college where like the essay structures you thought you could use just stopped working? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I kind of remember exactly in the class that my mind was sort of blown and I realized what I wanted to be doing instead. So I went to college as an English major right away. I was very young. I was 17, I think, when I started college. And I jumped right in to start taking literature classes. And I was so excited. And I knew the five-paragraph essay, but it didn't really work for me, right? I had these professors saying, hey, write a complicated exploration of an idea about this book or whatever. The five-paragraph essay did not help me figure out what I wanted to say or how I wanted to say it or any of those things. Very quickly had to figure out, okay, what way can I think about essay writing that's not a five paragraph essay, right? What's gonna be useful in all kinds of different situations?
0: Yeah, that reminds me of something Monica said when I talked to her, which was that like writing is thinking. And I feel like when you use something like a five-paragraph essay, you're pushing your thoughts into such a narrow frame that you can't think out of that kind of box kind of thing, right? Like, yes, it Kind of yes. limits the way you can think.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's the opposite of what we want writing to do is limit the way you think. Mm-hmm. I think often when students sit down and write a five-paragraph essay or when I did, you start with what you already think. You're like, okay, here's three claims I can make about this topic and I'll just find some things to say for each paragraph and I'm done. Uh, So you haven't learned anything and you haven't thought about it any differently. I mean, I think of that as really a way to sort of present to a reader a couple ideas that you already have, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But like you were saying that Monica was saying, writing is thinking and I want my writing I I mean, it needs to do two things, really. It does need to present to the reader my thinking, but it also needs to help me with my thinking, right? It needs to be a writing process that helps me think more deeply about my topic or my issue or whatever I'm writing about.
0: Yeah, I think actually that's something that I've been like struggling with in my teaching recently is like, I think occasionally I'll write prompts that are like, kind of designed to start students with something they already know, instead of pushing them through that thinking process? Or when should you actually decide what you're arguing, what your point is? When in your writing process? I
1: think that's a really good question. And I don't think there's exactly one answer. Because I think if you start off, before you're even researching and you say, this is what I'm going to argue, for example, these are going to be my claims, or this is going to be my thesis. That seems like not a good way to go, right? Because you don't know anything yet. And you haven't explored the ideas and you haven't done the research. Um, So we don't want to go in already knowing what we're going to write.
0: And you may end up with biased research in those situations too, right? Because especially now with the internet, you can find research that says anything. Even if it's wacky sources that aren't trustworthy, you're going to find stuff that like seems like it might work.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. But then I think you don't want to wait. You can't wait forever, Mm. right? At some point you have to sort of start guiding your writing. And I think that's what I found out when I was a young student. And then what I'm still trying to figure out how to convey to my students even now is how do you work that process of looking at the evidence and making your own claims? So the basic unit of organization or of thinking that I present to my students is claims, evidence, analysis. So CEA. And that's just pretty basic.
0: A lot of instructors probably use. Can we define claims, evidence, and analysis for our students? Oh, a lot. Can we? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking like we use the word claims a lot and I'm like, hmm, like does everyone know what a claim is?
1: True. Okay. Good point. So I define a claim as an assertion stated as if it's a fact. Mm. So you just stated, but it is an assertion. That means it's not a fact, right? We can't argue something that is already an empirical fact. Evidence can be a lot of different things, but it has to be something that kind of is presented as a fact, right? I mean, we'll get, that gets into another topic because obviously some evidence is stronger than other evidence, and more reliable and all that. But essentially, if you're offering something in your writing as evidence, it should be essentially non-debatable for the most part.
0: And that should be something normally that supports that claim, right? Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And then analysis, can be thought of different ways. Analysis is sort of similar to claims, I think, in a way. This is not like a black and white thing where there's an absolute right answer, right, for every sentence. You know, your analysis is analyzing that evidence. Because remember, the evidence just sits there and does not speak for itself, Mm -hmm. right? It's essentially a fact of some kind or fact-based or an observation. And then you analyze it to get to its significance, right? Why is it important? How does it connect to other things? What does it mean in a different context? All these kinds of things. But you're adding the analysis. Mm So there's those three basic things. And again, you know, other instructors might use like point illustration, you know, there's different ways of talking about it, but I just use claims, evidence, and analysis. I
0: think that's mostly the language I end up using also. I know that one thing that I've found interesting recently too, thinking also to of myths that we might want to break is i have had a lot of students very recently say that for every paragraph you need two pieces of evidence you have a claim oh. two pieces of evidence and like every paragraph and I'm like okay but what if you have a claim and you have one really really good piece of evidence that you need to explain a ton on and they're like you throw another one in and I'm like no you don't need to do that I'm not counting that like no one's counting if you have a certain number of evidence pieces in each paragraph
1: yeah absolutely or you might have a ton of good evidence and so let's not limit it to just two right if it needs additional explanation
0: and different paragraphs right
1: yeah and i think that's what all this is about ultimately is instead of formulas which try to be shortcuts that help you out sometimes they end up being shortcuts that don't help you out Mm -hmm. but kind of instead of formulas how can we think about these logical building blocks that'll be applicable in almost all situations of writing not just where a five paragraph essay might So yeah, and the way that you were talking about it as evidence as support, I think that's the simplest way to think about it as a starting place. And even in a five paragraph essay, you can see this, you make a claim, they often call it a topic sentence in the five paragraph essay, and then you support it with evidence, meaning that evidence exists in order to support the claim. And then you might even analyze that evidence. And that's a good starting place and it can lead you to organization, right? Every paragraph is gonna have one main claim probably. So you're gonna, you know, each paragraph has a good focus. And that's all lovely. But I think that that also kind of avoids a bigger question, which is, but where do you get your claims from? I mean, your evidence might come from research, let's say, but how do you know what you want to argue about that research? Yeah. Which kind of comes back to that question that you started with, which is at what point should you sort of decide what you're arguing,
0: right? Yeah, where do you get those claims, and, like, the other thing that I was thinking about, I actually will talk about topic sentences a little bit, too, but I'll use that as, like, a way to think about what should be happening within your paragraph, and for me, one of the faults with the five-paragraph essay is, like, okay, you have this claim with all this evidence that's supported whatever but a lot of times in five paragraph essays you can just mix up those paragraphs there's nothing that develops throughout the paper and I think that's another thing you have to think about is like how do you break this down for your reader in like chunks that logically make sense to work them through the process of understanding what you want them to understand
1: that's yeah I totally agree and that word you use development I mean That's sometimes I think one of the hardest things for many students coming into college and trying to tackle sort of more complicated ideas in their essay writing is that idea that the paragraphs need to be in a certain order because you are building on them. It's not like here's one topic and here's another and here's a third and now I'm done it's this claim leads logically in my thinking to this claim and then to this one. Right. And so we've got that development of logical connections.
0: And it's hard. It's hard. Right. And I think the other thing that I think frustrates students when we start saying like, you shouldn't write five paragraph essays and stuff like that is that you want a right answer. And I think what we're hinting at like too, is like, there's not a right answer, right? There's a bunch of ways to do this. There's different ways you can construct it and develop it you just have to make the choices that are best for like the paper you're writing and the audience you have but it's not like a template you can just plug in so where do claims come from yeah, where do you <laughs> think this come from, Landon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <okay. laughs> yeah. That was your question. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I
1: asked my students that, and I started doing this. I wasn't really sure what they thought. Like, what, mm. are, what are their answers going to be, right? Sometimes we as teachers we make assumptions about what our students are thinking, and and I, you know, and I try to realize I don't really know actually how they're thinking about this, right?
0: So one of the things that I try not to do too much, I'm thinking about my own writing process and where my claims come from. I think when I first started writing and when I was doing more like five paragraph essayish stuff, I would let like the sources drive my claims in a way, if that makes sense. Like I'd find a really good source. And if it was a really good source that supported that part of my argument, that would be what I was claiming. Does that sort of make sense? Like I would yeah. let the sources kind of decide as I learned to like read more and like understand more, I'd learn to make my own claims but I actually, I don't know how to answer that exactly. I don't know where they came from other than I'd, you know, read a bunch of stuff and come to some sort of conclusion and then be like, ooh, I have to convince other people of this conclusion.
1: Yeah. But what you're saying, I think is interesting. I mean, that's similar to what I do. But you're re- you you keep saying that you're reading this stuff and then letting that guide your claims. I think often we don't even do that. We say, where do my mm-hmm. claims come from? Like when I'm writing a five paragraph essay, well, they just come, you know, whoop, from you know some opinion that I've held because I don't know. I used to hear my family say it when I was young. I, mean, I don't know where they mm-hmm. come from, right? It's just like a thought I have or an opinion. They use the word opinion a lot, students sometimes, right, to talk about where their claims come from. And it does. It comes from you know your worldview and your background but hopefully it also comes from your analysis of the evidence. Right. Mm. And when you were talking about it, Katie, you were talking about doing that research first and then letting that guide you. So that's something that I think is sometimes missing is let the research guide you or let the, the evidence guide you. Cause it's not always research, right? If, even if it's something in our own lives, I want to look at the evidence, analyze it, and then come to my claims. Right? right. And so instead of going CEA, we often present it to the reader that way because it's nice and easy to follow. Here's my claim. Here's the evidence that Mm. supports it, and here's the analysis. But that might not be how I got to the claim, right? Right, backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's inverted. Like I had to actually start with the evidence, the middle, then analyze that evidence, and then that leads me to my claims.
0: Hmm.
1: And you can present it like that and just say, see first, and then however much evidence you want, and then however much analysis, and you can do it like that. Invert it for your reader, basically, right? You're inverting your thought process. But I think that you can also present it to your reader in that inverted way as well, right? There's not a formula. For example, just an essay that I just use, it's a short, kind of easy to read fun essay called Living With Last by Graham Hill, published in the New York Times. Um, it's like a decade old now, but I just use it for a small thing in my English one class. And he starts off the essay by describing his house. And he says like, I live in a 420 square foot house. I have 10 bowls only. I have a total of six shirts he's listing things, right? So he starts off with just, this is evidence, right? It's not debatable. It's just, these are the things in my home. And so then he goes from that to analyzing it and says, you know, I used to have a ton of stuff. Mm. But actually, that ton of stuff kind of drove me nuts. It kind of made me crazy. It felt like a job. And then his analysis of that evidence leads him ultimately to his main claim or thesis, which is that having all that stuff doesn't lead us to more happiness at some point it leads us to less happiness, right? So he starts with the evidence, he analyzes it, and then he gets to his claim. And he presents it to the reader that way. He doesn't inburn it and start with his claim, right? He gets there through his analysis of the evidence. And I think that that can be interesting. I mean, you don't have to do it all the time, right? But it's like, the, the idea of claims, evidence, and analysis working together in writing is flexible. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you can use it how you want to use it at any point in your writing.
0: Yeah. And I think like that happens both on the paragraph level, but it also works at the full essay level, right? Like you're talking True. about one where it like mix, mixes that within the structure of the entire essay, which I think is important too, that you can play with it in both those places, right? You can both play with that, yeah. but you can also play with how the entire essay is sort of formatted, right? Because I think like you're also hinting to towards that idea of like, like a lot of students were taught, like you must have a thesis statement that's one sentence long that exists at this exact spot. And I mean, different teachers say different things about that. I don't know how you end up teaching that, but like in professional essays, there's often a lot of flexibility about where that thesis goes, right? Right. And you said professional essays. And I think that's interesting to think
1: about, too, because let's not kid ourselves. Like, you know, our students are writing in a particular context, which is in a classroom. Um, And, you know, the five paragraph essay lives in such an exclusive habitat, right? This tiny little habitat where it only exists and it's Mm -hmm. mostly in high school. So we want to expand that and think about writing essays that are more kind of applicable to life. But we're still in a classroom and there's still those conventions and you're still going to have different instructors who try to give you different guidelines and
0: expectations. Mm -hmm. Which is why I still, I kind of still teach it a little bit. Like I talk about it as like, hey, I'll let you play with this. But like there are instructors who are going to expect it to be there and i think that's like something students are going to have to navigate with all of this. Right. And
1: even within whatever parameters your instructor gives you whether it's an english class or you know a history class or whatever, the idea of understanding how claims and evidence and analysis kind of work together logically, mm-hmm. i feel like those are going to be applicable in many 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 situations. Not the exact right. expectations or formulas, those are going to be specific, right, for each situation. Mm-hmm. But you want to, you know, this understanding of sort of like how ideas and logic, how ideas logically fit together and the difference Mm. between offering something as a piece of evidence or offering something by making a claim. Those kinds of things are going to be applicable, I think, in a lot of situations.
0: I guess my next question is, is, okay, so students, they're starting to figure out points they want to make, right? They have sort of claims. They've kind of worked through the evidence. They've worked through some of their analysis. What is the best way to figure out how to organize those so it feels like it's developed? So yeah, so they've
1: kind of gone through this process of brainstorming their own ideas plus collecting whatever research or evidence is sort of applicable based on all of that. Right. They've come up with some idea of what they want to argue. So now even though I would use the evidence in order to get to my claims, then I would try to just focus on the claims and start to try to organize that, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe using an outline of claims. And then you can look at what you were talking about with that logical development. You look at just the claims, right? Because the evidence and the analysis, that's kind of all the meat and skin and everything. Mm -hmm. If you just look at the backbone, just list out your claims and then play around with that order, right? Move them around. See what's missing logically. Are you missing a logical step that needs to get you from this claim to the next claim? Sometimes you need to think about what kind of foundation do you need to lie lie down before you make your argument? Right. Let's say, for example, if someone wants to argue that gender stereotypes are causing a problem in some way. Well, you might need to first lay the foundational claims of what is gender? What is a gender stereotype? You know, that kind of thing. Then you move to this claim and then to that claim. And I think an outline is a good way to do that.
0: Yeah. And I think like it's again, like there's flexibility, right? Like I'm thinking about a paper about gender stereotypes. Like maybe you need to do that definition work and stuff first, but then like maybe you want to kind of follow chronologically. Let's say you have stuff about childhood and then like teenage years and adulthood. Maybe you want to follow chronologically or maybe you have a bunch of stuff that's about like advertising and you want all those together and then you want workplace together or whatever sort of thing it is. There's often different ways to do it. Absolutely. I have students write outlines like that, but I'll also occasionally have them and I think I talked about this in a different episode, but I'll have them like take the whole kind of paper, not worry about organization at first, but take like a rough draft, cut out the sections and move them around to try to like, like physically to try to see like on a big table or whatever, the best way to organize it. Because it's hard. Like it's a hard thing to figure out. I know that's a thing that I often struggled with in school i love that i love the physically moving them around
1: and the great thing about the you know is if you remove the evidence in the analysis if you're just looking at the claims you might be looking at let's say 10 12 sentences right because if each claim you can kind of reduce to a sentence and then you're just moving around those 12 sentences let's say and yeah and by moving them around you might look at something and realize whole new things, because you've been stuck in this one way of thinking about it, right? And now it's opened up this, oh, you know what, this is actually not the cause of this, this is actually more complicated, and this connects to this, and,
0: right? Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, I like to visualize it like that. I remember one time in grad school, I had this paper where I was writing about three different texts, and I had done it where I talked about them all interchangeably, and I decided I needed to separate them out and talk about one by one, and, like, it was the best way to do it, because I could, like, play with That organization. I also think that the activity we're describing, like, if you can boil your paragraphs down to that claim, it will help you have more organized paragraphs, I think, also. Like, I often ask students, like, what is the point of this paragraph, right? Like, what is, what is the claim you're making? And they'll have a few. (laughs) They'll be like, oh, in this paragraph, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. So, like, forcing students to be, like, to know and forcing yourself to know, okay, this is the goal of this paragraph, not sure where it goes, but this is what I'm trying to do in this one, I think is a really, like, important writing skill generally.
1: Yeah, and also having a claim or a a goal, like you said, but not just a topic, because that's the other thing about the five-paragraph essay, we call them topic sentences, and then sometimes there's only a topic and there's no claim, right? Oh, well, my topic for that paragraph is gender and my topic for that one oh it's also gender right cuz my whole essay is about gender <laughs> so mm-hmm. every paragraph is going to have that basic topic right but each one needs to do something more specific right cuz you can't you can't you can have one big topic but but you need then you need to argue something that is multiple claims building on each other logically
0: I show my students an example of that. And it's like two paragraphs in the first one. It's like, it's about a cat. And it's like, I adopted a cat. She has fleas. There's a leash law in my city. Like, it's random every time. And like, <laughs> I'll ask them like, is this a strong paragraph? And they'll be like, no. And I'll be like, why? Because they'll always answer like, it's not focused, right? Like, but what's the topic? And they're like, her cat. And I'm like, isn't that, you know, isn't that focused? Right. And then yeah. we look at another example where it like, the first sentence is like, the cat is mangy and pitiful. And the rest of it explains why she's mangy and pitiful. like she's missing fur and she has the sore and all this like gross stuff but it's like I think a good thing to think about because in that like simplified example about cats we can see we're like oh yeah just having one topic is not enough like you need to actually be claiming one thing and then supporting it with that evidence or mixing that up but you need to have that that focus right and purpose use that word you use the word I think that helped
1: too what's your purpose in this paragraph what's your purpose in this essay Yeah, not just, well, I was kind of interested in cats, right? Okay, so then you researched and you thought about it and you came up with all this stuff, and now what do you want to do with that,
0: right? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, what will also end up happening when you start asking that question is you'll realize things don't actually belong in the essay. Um, I know that's a thing that happens to me, like, when we are talking about gender stereotypes a minute ago, like, I was imagining that essay, and I was like, you know what, this might be too much in one essay, as I was, like, talking it through. One of the things I tell my students is, like, Sometimes they want to pick these topics and arguments, I guess, that are so broad that it covers a ton because they're worried about the length of the paper they're going to write. Often, if you can hold like a magnifying glass to like one thing, there's a lot of details that you can work through and a lot of little claims within that that you can work through.
1: Yeah. And I think organizing all of your evidence is going to, that often leads you to having multiple claims that are subtly different from each other, but not drastically different, right? They're just a little bit different sometimes. And that's when you get to the real, you know, and another thing is, is I want my students to write about complicated things because a simple thing you don't need to write about, right? If it's simple, just make a bumper sticker and you're done, right? (laughs) Um, But if it's complicated, as you learn more and more about it, you're going to have these nuanced paragraphs where you're really digging into the evidence and making, you know, subtle points um, that lead from one to the next. And yeah, Mm -hmm. like you said, really putting that magnifying glass up really close rather than giving this giant broad overview.
0: You'll find better evidence. It'll be easier in the long run if you have a smaller thing you're trying to prove or convince people of. It works better. (laughs) Trust us. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Trust us. Trust us, trust us. Your your topic is too broad. Make it less. Like, But I'll have the students who are just like, they want to talk about like all of racism in the United States. Or right. And I'm right. like, okay, that is, that's books. That's books and books and books. You're not writing a book. Why don't you spe- specifically pick one? And the, they'll be like, oh, but like, if I pick, you know, racism in the workplace, there's not going to be enough. And then that's, I think when the research and the brainstorming comes in, because like you could just choose racism in the education workplace and be fine, right? Yeah. Any other things about this? Oh, man. I mean, you could kind of go on forever uh, because
1: it because it relates to so many other things. It relates to research. It relates to organization. But I mean, no, I think that's a good introduction to the idea of thinking about making claims. Yeah.
0: Good. Okay. so I've been asking everybody one last question. You want me to ask you it? Yeah. (laughs) My last question has been like, just what are you learning right now? quite a few things.
1: I, I'm I'm that person who always has a bunch of projects. So in like a really practical way, uh, I bought a horse uh, less than a year ago. So I am learning all about horse care because even though I've ridden my whole life and was a professional trick rider for many years, um, I never actually owned a horse. That's good. That's good.
0: I'm always a student though, always learning about new stuff. Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> what are you learning? Oh my god, lady? I don't even
0: know. I think uh, editing audio has been a fun project lately oh, okay. because I have to make these Very sound cool. decent. And if they don't, I'm sorry, I'm learning, guys. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for your time, Landon. Um, this was super fun. It was good to talk to you. If you guys need to email us, our email address is at the COS website um, in the directory. And again, like if students actually listen to this and have things you want to hear, tell me, email me, kdb at And Those will be priority. They'll move to the top of my list. So thanks, guys.